If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to John chapter 1. There are some notes in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with those. John chapter 1. Let me see if we get things moving here. All right, good. Before we start in John 1, how many of you like Christmas carols? All right. One of the things that I found in the last several years is because of all the other things we do, we don't get to sing a lot of Christmas carols at church. It's just hard to get enough of them in, and you only got a couple weeks to a few weeks. So starting this evening, we're going to give you the chance to sing your favorite Christmas carol. We'll sing several tonight, and for the next three Sunday nights, we'll have an extended time of Christmas carol singing. Then I'm going to be doing a series pastor asked me to do on the manger trio and so we'll be talking about the, those three people those three characters at the manger scene and so that'll start this evening we'll be looking at uh, Matthew and then uh, excuse me at Joseph in the book of Matthew and uh, we'll talk about the manger trio but we're going to give you a chance this evening to sing some Christmas carols so come be prepared to find your favorite and we'll sing those together over the next three weeks so let me ask you a question this morning why all the fuss why all the fuss there there's two people at christmas that always kind of uh, uh, make me stop and wonder the first one is the one who i said have you done any christmas shopping they said i got it all done i was done september 1st and I always just look at them and go, huh, what is that about? To me, and I'm not saying to them, but to me, that seems like it's a job to get accomplished. We've got to get it done, be done with it, so we can move on. And then the other one is those of you, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, but you know who you are, who will really either go Thursday night of Thanksgiving or some ungodly hour of the morning and stand in line so that you can get a 55-inch TV for $100 off. Battle all the other crazies that are out there. Oh, I mean the crazies, not that you're crazy, but, and you'll be out there and you just love that. Uh, Not me. I'm going to confess, my favorite day to Christmas shop is December 24th. I'd love to shop. First of all, everyone else is almost done except all the husbands that aren't done. <laughs> Second of all, I, I have this theory about Christmas shopping. If you're not looking for anything specific, you find it every time. <laughs> and so I just walk in, all the salespeople come to you immediately. Can we help you find something? I go, no, I'm just looking around. And I don't have that, you know, like I'm lost or don't know what's going to happen panicking at that moment. And you know what? I've been doing that now for uh, 37 years that Don and I've been married. And every year I find what I think is a decent gift. You know, I don't go to 7-Eleven anymore, but, uh, you know. But seriously, think of the millions of dollars, billions actually, and all the time and energy and angst that Christmas brings. And some people get so worked up about it. And, you know, got kids who are counting presents to see if we got enough. As they get older, they quit counting the number of presents and count the dollar value of the presents. 
to make sure they got their share, their fair share. But all the decorating, all the hustle, the bustle, the wrapping, the trappings, the carols, the, all the things, how to make Christmas cookies, got to do all the things that Christmas requires. And I want to ask the question this morning, why all the fuss? Why all the fuss? And if we turn to the book of Matthew chapter 1, that's not where we're going, we're going to be in John 1, but if we were to turn to Matthew chapter 1, we'd see there's a lot going on that first Christmas. And probably a year or two, two years later when the Magi come. There's shepherds, there's angels, there's taxes to be paid, there's all kinds of stuff happening. And the question comes back to us, why all the fuss? What's the big deal? What's any different about this day that we celebrate on December 25th? And we find the answer in my favorite Christmas passage, which is John chapter 1. You don't immediately think of John 1 as a Christmas passage, and yet that's exactly what it is. For in it we find the answer to the question, why all the fuss? Notice with me John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Father, as we look at your Word together, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our hands to see you for who you really are, to see Jesus for who he really is, to love you for who you are, to love him for who he is, and then to use our hands to tell others, to show others who you are and who he is. May this Christmas season, we be able to answer the question, why all the fuss? Give us direction, clarity as we speak and as we hear this morning. We pray it in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Why all the fuss? In these first two verses, we get the very first reason, the very first answer to the question. Why all the fuss? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Why all the fuss? Because in this manger lies the eternal Word of God. Now, other great men have been born, great women have been born, but none of them have been eternal. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the thought. In the beginning was the idea, if we want to use those words. But the words are used to express ideas and personalities. In Christ, the word is the full expression of the Father. Colossians 1.15 says, who, in the, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Hebrews 1.3 says, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, this baby in this manger is like no other baby in any other manger, crib, or cradle. For this baby is the eternal word of God. First of all, is demonstrated by his presence with God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. 
the very fact that he and he alone was in the presence of God, that when he was born into this world, when he took on flesh, as Philippians 2 says, when he condescended to become man, but he started and continues to be God. And he's in the very presence of God. Before anything else was created, he was there. And the scripture teaches over and over that Jesus, that babe born in the manger, was with God from the very beginning. He, this one that lies in the manger, is the eternal word of God, as demonstrated by his presence with God. This was Jesus' pre-incarnate existence. For since he was God, he always existed. He was in the beginning with God, therefore separate from God, and yet he was God, so he must be the second person of the Trinity. And when we think back of all the reasons why we celebrate Christmas and all the reasons that we go to all the fuss that we do, the very first one is that this babe's birth that we celebrate this season is the eternal word of God. Who doesn't like babies? Don't raise your hand if you don't like babies. We all like babies, right? And every grandma and grandpa, guy with a grandchild, you have the most beautiful babies. Now, I'm going to be honest. I've seen some babies that weren't all that lovely looking. <laughs> Just going to be honest. As a pastor, I've seen a lot of babies. <laughs> and there are some that are prettier than others. Let's put it that way, all right? But to a mom and to a dad, to a grandma and to a grandpa, there's nothing more beautiful than that baby. Those babies are beautiful. We love babies. But this baby is different than any baby you've ever seen. This baby is the eternal word of God. As demonstrated by his presence with God, but notice also secondly, as demonstrated by his ability to do the work of God. For we read on, it says, In him all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. How was that ability to do the work of God? First of all, in creating the world. Scripture reminds us over and over in passage after passage that it was Jesus who created the world in which we live. John 1.10, 1 Corinthians 8.6, Colossians 1.16, Genesis 1.1, Hebrews 1.2. I'm not going to read all those for you this morning, but they're there and you can look up. But we're reminded that he is the creator, God. And the scripture before us says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. His deity is evidenced by his ability to speak all of creation into existence. The word made there means came into being, and it speaks of an event, not a process, and an event. He spoke, and the world came into existence. He spoke, and animals came into existence. He spoke, and plants came in. None of this, I listened to someone yesterday, and although what they were saying and showing me was interesting. I got lost when they got to, and then 200 million years ago when this was this little amoeba over here, and then I'm going, I tell you what, if you take evolution and try to understand it, it takes more faith than believing simply that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. They just believe what it says. 
that's a lot easier to believe than you want me to believe what? And so as we come to this Christmas season and ask ourselves, why are we doing all of this? Because this child in the manger, he who lies in the manger is the eternal word of God. As demonstrated by his presence with God, and as demonstrated by his ability to do the work of God. But notice not only is he able to create the world, but even more importantly, or I should say as importantly, he goes on to say this. There was a man sent from God, verse 6. Well, let's go well, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. This is Jesus. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But... But as many as received him, to them gave he power, authority, the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How do I know that this one in the manger is the eternal word of God? Because he's able to change people like you and me. As the light of the world, he's able to dispel darkness. Not only the darkness around me, but the darkness in me. I tell the story because it constantly reminds me of one of the Holocaust victims' wives who was sitting and listening to the trial, the criminal trial of Ivan the Terrible. And as he was sentenced for his crimes during the Holocaust, Weiss broke out weeping. Later on, a reporter asked him and said, Mr. Weiss, I'm sure that as you were hearing all the things that had happened, he said, I'm, I'm sure that that's, you know, just brought you to tears and you were weeping because of the terrible things that had happened to you in the concentration camp. And as he dried his tears, he said, no. He said, as I was sitting there listening to the terrible things he done, I suddenly realized, had the shoe been on the other foot, it could have been me sitting up there. The prophet says, a heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And one of the dangers that we have is to think that somehow we would never do that. And I've been pastoring long enough in my 35, 36 years of pastoring now to recognize that it is very seldom anything that we couldn't do. And so the old statement there, but by the grace of God, go I. But Jesus came to change that, to change my darkness into light. You could be here today and maybe you're struggling with some darkness in your life. Jesus can change that. Maybe it's darkness in your thoughts. Maybe it's darkness in your actions. Maybe it's just darkness that nobody else knows about. 
Jesus is the light of the world, and as the eternal word of God, he can and will change that if you'll but let him. Why all the fuss? Because in this manger lies the eternal word of God. Notice the second reason why all the fuss. And that is because in this manger lies the incarnate word of God. Incarnate simply means to take on flesh, to take on a body. Notice verses 14 through 18. Lots we have to leave undone to get through these major points. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Why all the fuss? Because in this manger lies the incarnate word of God. Read verse 14 again. And the word was made flesh and dwelt. And the tent idea means to live in a tent temporarily among us. And one of my great concerns for myself and for us this morning is that we read over that and just move on without stopping to reflect on the miraculous, gracious, incredible from our standpoint fact that the eternal word of God took on flesh. Not so that he would know how we feel. He already knows how we feel. But so that we would know that he knows how we feel. Scripture says he suffered all things, that he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. So the author of Hebrews says, we have a high priest. Actually puts it in the negative. We do not have a high priest that cannot be touched. So therefore we do have a high priest who can be touched by our infirmities. He understands us. Now, being God, he always understood us. But we need visuals. We need to see him in Gethsemane. We need to see him deal with a group of people who he keeps telling the truth and it just says, boom, off the top of their head all the time. He says, finally, how long have you been with me and you still don't get it? Parents, sometimes we feel that way with our kids, right? How many times have I told you that you still don't get it? But I want us to stop just for a moment and think of this great condescension those who've been in our Philippians class, which it's drawing to an end finally, we remember that chapter two and about Christ's great condescension that he took on flesh, that he humbled himself, did not think quality with God something to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself of the free exercise of his attributes. Didn't lose his attributes. He didn't cease to be God, but he lay all that aside so that he could come and be our savior, be our pattern, 
And Jesus lived the way we did. Three resources God gives him and gave us. And that was the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. We have the same resources available to us. Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father, and I don't do anything that I didn't hear from the Father, that I didn't get from the Father to start with. But what a great thing that he who was the eternal, or who is the eternal word of God, took on human flesh so that he could be the savior of the world. That's an amazing thing. I think we think too little about it. I think we think too poorly about it. The word dwell means to pitch a tent or to dwell temporarily. It says that the only begotten, it means the one and only, the unique, the one of a kind. And I love what verse 18 says. No man hath seen God at any time, the only unique, one of a kind, begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him, it says, announced him, shown him, revealed him. The word is exegeted him. He's explained him. Want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. How many of you remember the book, What Would Jesus Do? I said the book, not the bracelet. <laughs> Any of you read the book in his steps? Right? It was about what would Jesus do? And then we had the bracelets and all the other stuff. I suggest there's a better question asked than what would Jesus do? I think the question is what did Jesus do? And the more I understand what he did, the more I understand what pleases God and what he wants me to do. And so, why all the fuss? Because in this manger lies the eternal word of God. And in this manger lies the incarnate word of God. So Paul writes this Philippians and says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Again, what an amazing thing. Theologically, what a difficult thing. Theologians have spent centuries trying to figure out the, and it just can't be done. But I'm thankful I don't have to figure it out in order for it to be true that I don't have to have all the answers or understand how that could possibly be. But as I said, God said it, and I believe it. The old song said, that settles it for me. But whether I believe it or not, it's still settled in heaven. Why all the fuss? Because in the manger lies the eternal word of God. Because in this manger lies the incarnate word of God. In number three this morning... Because in this manger lies the promised word of God. First promise of the gospel we find in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Where God says to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman will one day crush the head of the serpent. That's the first Christmas promise. Did you realize that? Way back there. It's the seed of the woman. Now, as soon as she had Seth, she said, I've got a man of the Lord. And apparently she thought this might be him. But what we know 
as it was 4,000, 5,000, or 6,000 years before that would come to pass. For all of those years, the people of God waited on the promise. Notice the three testimonies that he was the promised word. First, the testimony of John in verses 19 through 29. He says, And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou the prophet? That's the prophet from Moses spoke of in Exodus 18. And he answered, No. Then they said unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as is said to the prophet Esaias. And they which were with him were sent, were the Pharisees. And he asked them and said unto him, Why baptize thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered him, saying, I baptize with water. There standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is whose coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Why all the fuss? Because in this manger lies the promised word of God. The people were waiting for the prophet. They were waiting for the promised Messiah. They were waiting for the Lamb of God that Isaiah spoke about. And throughout those Old Testament passages, there was that heart's felt that, yes, maybe it's today. That's why, as I said Wednesday night in our study, that it was so important for women in that day to have a child. Because if you were infertile, it meant you had no chance of having, of being the one to bear the Messiah. And for all of those years, from the 1400s of Moses, B.C., up to the birth of Christ, people were expecting and waiting and longing for the Messiah. And now he's come, that promised word of God, as revealed, first of all, by the testimony of John. Secondly, as revealed by the Spirit. For notice what it says in verses 30 through 34. This is he of whom I have said, John says, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bare record that this is the Son of God. So not only the, spirit, the testimony of John, but the testimony of the Spirit of himself when at his baptism... The Spirit descended upon him. And the voice of this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
This is the promised word of God. This is the one who they've been awaiting. This is the one whom everyone was expecting. How unfortunate that when he came, way too many who should have known him did not. And then notice in verses 35 through 51, we won't read them all, as revealed by the testimony of the first disciples. But notice just verse 41. Verse does start in verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, or the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation these disciples when they saw Jesus when they heard his teaching and when they received an invitation to follow them they recognized him as the promised word of God this is the one we've been waiting for this is the one we've been praying for this is the one who has been promised. So why all the fuss? Well, number one, because in this manger lies the eternal word of God. Number two, because in the manger, in this manger lies the incarnate word of God. And number three, because in this manger lies the promised word of God. But there's one more. Because in this manger, number four, lies the final word of God. First of all, the final word of God in matters of salvation. Notice what verse 29 says. John said the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Not just covers, but removes them, which takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 12 through 13, look back there. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Why all the fuss? Because in this manger lies the final word of God in the matter of salvation. There is no other name under heaven given by, whereby given by man that man might be saved. That name is Jesus. In Christ alone is our hope. In Christ alone is our future. And back in the 70s we sang, Jesus is still the answer. And now, 40 years later, he's still the answer. Not a answer, not one of many answers, but the answer. Jesus is still the answer. And at this Christmas season, where we're doing all the things that Christmas have become for us as families and as churches and as countries, in the midst of it all, we need to stop and reflect that he, this child in the manger 
that we celebrate as we contemplate him. We need to be reminded he is God's final word in the matter of salvation or their salvation in no other. Matthew one twenty one says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Colossians 1.19-20 says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Acts 4.12, as I mentioned, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. People are looking for a lot of answers. They're looking for answers to their fear. They're looking for answers to their sadness, to their grief, to their sorrow, to their sin, to their suffering. But in the end, Jesus is the only answer. And none of those things will ever begin to make sense or fit together into your life until you first give your heart and soul to Jesus. He alone can help you see how all that comes together. He has created you and he made you to have a relationship with him. And you can seek anything and everything and you can gain it all. But without Jesus, yours will be the testimony of Solomon. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. A chasing after the wind is a translation of that word. We've seen so many people, movie stars, entrepreneurs, businessmen, who get to the top of the ladder, ladder and as they say, find out it's leaning on the wrong wall because none of those things would bring satisfaction. Jesus is still the answer, and he's the only answer. And whatever's troubling your heart and soul or mind this morning, Jesus is the answer to that. And we'd love to talk with you following the service this morning about what it means, if you don't already know him as Lord and Savior, what that means, and how you can have his grace and peace in your life. But for those of us who do know him, we just need to stop and reflect and be thankful and have gratitude and show gratitude for what Christ has done for us. And as we give gifts to others, hopefully it reminds us of the greatest gift that God has given us in his son. As Paul calls it in Corinthians, the indescribable gift. In other words, there's not enough language to fully describe it this Christmas season. But not only in matters of salvation, but also in matters of lordship. Notice what it says in verse 34 and 39. It says, saying the Lord, oops, that's in Luke, let me get over here, 34 and 39, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And verse 49, Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Now, we don't think this way because we live in Western culture of America. But in Middle East, a king was at the top. And a king was not to be trifled with. 
the king was to be obeyed and submitted to. And when it comes to who you will obey and to what you will submit, Jesus is the king. And sometimes in this life, even as Christians, we have to make a choice between the kings of this world and the king. And that during the Christmas season, there's a lot of things that we can get involved in. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but they need to keep reminding us that it's all because of a king. I'm not giving you gifts because I want you to think well of me, or at least I shouldn't be. But I'm giving you gifts because of the great gifts the king has given me. And so my prayer for myself and for us this Christmas season is that as we are involved in all these Christmas activities, and it's not my place to say what you should and shouldn't be doing, except shopping on Black Friday. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but I want to be sure in my own heart that in the midst of all of the celebrations, the wrappings, the trassing, the hustles, the bustles, the caroling, the decorating, all the things we do, that I don't lose what it's really all about. That I don't lose why all the fuss. Because in this manger lies the eternal word of God. Because in this manger lies the incarnate word of God. Because in this manger lies the promised word of God. Because in this manger lies the final word of God. It's all about him. Christmas is about Christ. Christmas is about Jesus. And whatever else we do, it's my prayer that as we go through this season, that we will be regularly reminded that we go to all the fuss, because of who he is and what he's done for us. Let's stand together.